0: Worldview Discussions, Lesson 29. Why did the cross happen? Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well. I've been reflecting. You know, the last 10 puns I've attempted. I have tried to make you guys laugh. I've tried. I really have. But as I reflect on it and I I hear your responses, to the puns, and if if they actually made you laugh, if any of the last 10 made you laugh, it seems like no pun in 10 did. <laughs> now, some of you who haven't laughed at the previous ones, that one got you. Come on. Come on. I, I want some comments on this lesson, and you're acknowledging, okay, Jones, you got me on that one. So I wanna talk about why the cross happened. Why did the cross happen? And this is coming on the tails of our discussion about the resurrection and why it makes sense to believe the resurrection took place. Here I wanna think uh, about the significance of the the resurrection for a few days, uh, about the cross and the resurrection. So I wanna think um theologically about these things i want to think about the significance of these things and i want to process some of this stuff and just crack open god's word with you guys and so this lesson is going to be why did the cross happen the next lesson is going to be what happened on the cross and then following that i want to talk about where did jesus go and why does that matter okay so today We're going to look at why did the cross happen. Next lesson is going to be what happened on the cross, and then after that, we're going to look at uh, where did Jesus go after the cross, and we'll talk about the significance of that. So today, why did the cross happen? I want to start by reading a quotation from Leslie Newbegin in his book A Walk Through the Bible and here he's talking to a hindu scholar who says this about the bible i can't understand why you missionaries present the bible to us in india as a book of religion it's not a book of religion in any way we have plenty of books on religion in india we don't need any more. i find in your bible a unique interpretation of universal history the history of the whole of creation and the history of the human race and therefore the Bible is a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. I really liked that quote, and it, I feel like, represents what this lesson is about. This lesson is about reflecting on human history and providing a unique interpretation of human history and of you and me as the quote said, responsible actors in history, or as I've heard other people refer to the Bible as his story. So I'm interested in thinking about the Bible in that way and addressing this question. Why did the cross happen? So, It seems to me there are five things that we could highlight and I got to go quick with these, I know. So I want to talk about because of who God is. The cross happened because of who God is. I want to talk about who God made us to be, who we have become, a promise God made. And then I want to circle back around and talk about who God is again. All right. Who God is who he made us to be, who we've become, a promise God made, and because of who God is. So why did the cross happen? First off, I want to think about who God is. In Psalm 99.5, it says, Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. Holy is he. It is his holiness that is the grounding, the foundation, the reason for why the psalmist says worship and exalt the Lord our God. In Isaiah chapter six, the prophet Isaiah has a typical prophetic calling experience where he's caught up into the throne room. And as he encounters God, he claims, that he's, he's going to die. He says he's undone as he experiences the fullness of God's glory and his holiness. And he, he, he announces, I, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. It says in Isaiah 6. And the, the heavenly inhabitants are singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. So It seems like God's holiness may be one of the best ways we can summarize and explain who God is and his character. So the best we can do, right? It's English. It's going to be limited. But I think holiness has more to do than just moral perfection. I think that's part of it. It seems like it has to do with this separateness. And there's a neat illustration the Bible Project uses. I'm going to read this real quick for you guys. God's holiness is his defining characteristic. The holiness of God is a term used in the Bible to describe both his goodness and his power. It is completely unique and utterly all-powerful, radiating from God like an energy. In fact, God's holiness is so overwhelming that it can actually be dangerous to approach. It's helpful to think of God like the sun. The sun is so bright and powerful that its energy radiates out through the solar system. It's a good, helpful thing to be within the sun's energy. But the sun itself is so powerful that it's dangerous to get close to. In scripture, where we see examples of mortal men approaching the presence of the almighty God, the exact same scenario that this metaphor depicts is played out. So God's holiness. And as we'll talk about later, our unholiness seems to be why the cross happened but i want to start by thinking about who god is god is holy and if he wasn't holy then i don't think god would have even cared about our sin i don't even know if an idea of sin would exist if if god's standard of holiness in his existence uh, wasn't there so first off why did the cross happen i think it happened because god's holy of course It happened also because of who God made us to be. Who God made us to be. We've actually spent a lot of time thinking about Genesis one in this course. And we remember that in Genesis one, it says God made man in his image. And it was a commissioning, right? It was a commissioning to rule over. So I'm interested in actually going to Psalm eight, which is a commentary on this. You guys are gonna have to check out the, the visual commentary the Bible Project just came out with on Psalm 8. I'll link it to this lesson. It is super cool. But it says in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and yet you crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. And then the psalmist reflects on all of the creatures and says, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name? The author is surprised at the commissioning that has happened uh, by God to humans. These creatures that are made from the dust in Genesis and yet are elevated to this incredible privilege of ruling over all things in creation. God, That's who God has made us to be we are um, called to rule over. And the biblical narrative will even talk about how we are going to rule over uh, the spiritual beings as well. So the cross happened because God has given humanity a, a job to do. And God wants to get the human project back on track. And he's committed to humans being the rulers he's made them to be. Thirdly, Why has the cross happened? The cross has happened because of who we have become. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, I think of uh, Matthew chapter 5. In in Matthew 5, you have Jesus reflecting on the law. And he, he says earlier, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, or you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he starts talking about what this looks like and, and says, you have heard it said, do not murder. But then Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So he says, if you're offering a gift at the altar and remember that your brothers has something against you, he says, go deal with it. Come to terms quickly with your brother. I I'm challenged by Jesus's commentary on you and me. He, He seems to view people very clearly as sinners and in need of a savior. We have all fallen. I'm I'm struck by the idea that if I compare myself to another person, I may end up convincing myself, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad man, you should see that other guy, what he's done in his life. And and so I think maybe we can, boy, even as believers, convince ourselves that our sin sometimes is just not that big of a deal. And yet if we actually take a second and stop comparing ourselves horizontally to someone else, and and then we compare ourselves to the holy God, I wonder if our response is similar to Isaiah's, whoa, whoa. Is me I'm undone I'm undone sin is when we say to God take a hike I know better than you how to define good and evil sin in other words is a failure to be truly human and it seems like the biblical narrative is describing the failure of of humans to be the humans God made him to be and the need for a human to actually come and represent us and be the human that God called us to be. And of course, that's going to be Jesus, right? He, he actually succeeded at being the human that we were called to be. He is the true image of God. And I feel like for years, as I thought about that from Colossians, I I thought about that in terms of his divinity, but it seems to me that it also reflects his humanity. Jesus came to be who we have failed to be. The cross happened because of who we have become. Here's a fourth one. The cross happened because of a promise God made. Again, I think we've spent time thinking about God's response to the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He says, between the, the serpent, he's talking, your offspring, serpent, and her offspring. But he, the, the he, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your serpent, your head, and you, serpent, shall bruise his heel. And this is referenced by theologians as what's called the first gospel or the proto-evangelium, it's called. And the story of the Bible is how we're waiting for the seed of the woman to come. God makes this promise. He commits himself to putting the human project back on track. So if you fast forward throughout Scripture, you start to see this pattern and you're waiting for the Offspring of the woman to come, and you're wondering, could it be this person? Is it this person? Isaiah nine, you get a a promise mentioned in there uh, about this this seed who is coming, and you guys are are quite familiar with this passage in in Isaiah nine. So here here we read, a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. And, and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And we read a little bit later in verse 7, the, the throne of David and, and over his kingdom, it's going to have no end. And then in Isaiah 52, we learn a little bit more about this king, this servant king, who it says is going to be exalted, high and lifted up in Isaiah 52, 13. And that's what you expect a king to be, right? High and lifted up. God has made this promise. Here's what's interesting. If you keep skimming through Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 53, this servant king who's going to be high and lifted up is going to take on the sins of the people. How can one be a king of God, be high and lifted up, and and yet somehow be marred and disfigured and counted among the transgressors and and bear the infirmities uh, of the world. And by his wounds, we're going to be healed. All that's in Isaiah 53. So, well, I mean, we know the answer, right? And in, uh, in John 12, Jesus picks up this language and he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And I think John is, is here reflecting on Isaiah. And of course, Jesus here is thinking of the cross. When he is lifted up, he may well be thinking about the ascension as well. But it says actually in John 12, John provides the narrative that Jesus was actually referring to the cross. Isn't that amazing? God's made a promise. God made a promise that a woman would have a child who would defeat sin and death to restore humanity to him it's, it's God's game plan. And I'm going to say something maybe kind of crazy here, but I wonder if it's right to even say that initially the cross didn't have to happen. God could have in his justice still being a God of love and justice have said, I'm going to let them suffer the consequences of their choices. So I wonder guys, if it would be right for me to say that. Initially, the cross didn't have to happen. But once God made a promise, well, then he committed himself to it, didn't he? And so the cross happened because God made a promise. One more, one more. The cross happened because of who God is once more. And here I want to think about the fact that God has steadfast love and faithfulness. And yet God is just. Think about Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord. This is what he says to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But God says, will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And I know that sounds weird because it sounds like God's gonna hold grandkids accountable for the sins of the grandparents. I don't think that's what it means there. I think it means that God will not clear the guilty it says. So if a subsequent generation continues the sins of the previous generation, God's going to hold them accountable. But yet God's character is one where he wants to show steadfast love and faithfulness to thousands of generations. And doesn't that reflect the character of God? God promised to commit himself to restore humanity to himself, And that promise is going to come to fruition because of who God is. Because when God makes promises, he keeps them. And God doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. So he's going to hold the guilty accountable, but he's going to stay steadfast in his promise to restore humanity. And, of course, that happens on the cross with the ultimate human, the God-man, who was our substitute. So why did the cross happen? The cross happened because of who God is, who he made us to be, who we've become. God made a promise. And ultimately because of who God is again.